Great to see you here today and all of our folks that are joining us live on Facebook today. Welcome to the Life Center. And we're going uh, to have fun for the next few weeks because uh, obviously Easter changed everything, right? When Christ rose from the grave, it changed everything. And so from that moment, we're stepping into this next series and it's really, it's about who we are and what we are. And when I say uh, the word uh, church, oftentimes that, that immediately puts some, some ideas in your head or just some thoughts of what you think that looks like. And, and I, I'm pretty confident, I'm pretty confident of this, that the early church, the first church, the church that's described in the book of Acts, we have a very different perspective and idea of church than they did, completely, completely. I can tell you for sure that they didn't think about cathedrals. They didn't think about converted warehouses. They didn't think about worship teams or worship bands. They didn't think about, think about lights and smoke machines and choir lofts and choir robes and interpretive dance and any other thing that pops in your head when you think about church. They didn't think about any of that because there was nothing like that. They did not understand or have any idea what church was. And so Jesus set the standard. And so we're going to look into... We're going to look into that over the next couple of weeks. We're going to figure out, I mean, since Jesus is the author, the architect, the designer, and the one that gave his life for it, he should know what he's asking for, what he's talking about when he talks about church, right? So we're going to try to take it from where he set the stage and where he set the standard, and we're going to understand what the church is, who the church is, and how it's supposed to function in the world today. Because I tell you, the way Jesus built it, the way he designed it, it will change the world, right? That's how it was intended. So we're going we're gonna to launch in uh, to this. And the way, the way it starts, we're going to start with the first time. And I, you know, ride with me here. I'm going to cover a lot of material to set the foundation for the next few weeks. So, so we're going to move fast, listen fast, and we'll get to where we need to go. We're going to start the first time the word church was ever mentioned in the New Testament was by Jesus' own mouth, and he was with his disciples. It was getting close to, uh, to the end of his earthly ministry. He was with his disciples. Maybe they were on their journey somewhere, and they were talking, and, and they, he stops them on. He asks them a question, uh, who are people saying that I am? You know, what's the talk? And so they chatted amongst themselves for a while, and then, then he drops the real question, and the real question was, who do you say that I am? And interestingly enough, these guys have been following you, would have thought that would be like, well, everybody knows who you are, you're the Messiah, you know? You would have thought that would be the common answer, but they were still unsure. But then good old Peter, he just kind of blurted it out there, and we're going to enter into that conversation in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew kind of recorded it this way, Simon Peter answered Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he just throws it out there. Now, you have to understand, for a, for a Jew of that time to say someone was the Messiah was borderline to heresy because they had been searching and dreaming and praying for the Messiah for generations, the one that was going to deliver them and liberate them. And so for, for, for Peter to say this was sticking his neck way out. He was making a bold statement, and Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. First time it was mentioned, my church. The, the, the word there is ecclesia. That's what it's interpreted from. And the gates of Hades will not 
overcome it. It's interesting because the, the, the word choice that Jesus picked had a specific context in mind when he spoke it and when he said it. The word ecclesia actually means people anywhere gathering in a common purpose or focus. So he made a statement. He picked a word that would describe how he envisioned his church to be, a big church. He explained it by dropping this word. They understood the context of it, although they possibly did not know what it fully meant. I'm pretty sure they didn't because as we begin to follow the story, we start to understand that their minds were blown on many occasions of how Jesus was making this stuff happen and how it was coming. The realization that Jesus was the Christ is the common denominator that makes up the church. Knowing that Jesus is Christ is the answer. That is the answer to the question that has been asked for centuries. And so what had happened, though, and this is a very important that you kind of catch this as a little bit of a history lesson, but that word that he used, ecclesia, changed over time. A Greek definition of the word was a little bit different. Instead of, instead of uh, ecclesia, the, the Greek word translated loosely as of the Lord. So it slowly began to take a different shape. And then around 300 AD, uh, the Goths changed the word again, and it actually meant Lord's house. And it didn't mean the Lord's house. It could mean any Lord's house. So slowly but surely, the word that we now use in our English language as church completely changed in its meaning from when Jesus uttered ecclesia the first time. Very different context. Why does that matter? The reason why that matters is because when you change the understanding of what Jesus was saying, you actually change the theology of what Jesus was explaining, and therefore you change the execution of what it looks like. Right? Does that make sense? Jesus meant something when he selected that word, ecclesia, to describe this group, this gathering, these, this multitude of people that had a common purpose and a common understanding versus how it became to what we understand today when we say church, you immediately think of a place, an institution, a building, a gathering of a certain group of people. So the whole thing changed and it's, un it's important to understand that as that change happened over time, it totally changed the message of the gospel. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is simply this. If you study church history, you will find that there was a period of time where the, your scriptures were in Latin. Latin was not the spoken word of the common person. And so therefore, the only people that could read the scripture were people that were trained in Latin. And it just so happened they were people that were part of a church, an organization, an institution. And they intentionally kept the, the scriptures in Latin so the common person could not understand what the scripture said. So in order to find anything to do with God or anything to do from the scripture, they had to go listen to someone interpret it for him or for her. Now, the danger of that is anytime you give man that much power, man's going to use it to manipulate you. You study church history and you find that government and church, in those days, you couldn't figure out who was the most powerful. In most cases, the church was more powerful than the government. The church determined who sat on the throne in many cases. And in many cases, they determined who was removed from the throne. There were many people that were executed under the guise and the direction of the church. When man gets that much power, man abuses that much power. And so when man got that involved in the church... 
not the ecclesia, but the definition that it became Lord's house. They begin to lord over people. And then a man named William Tyndale, which is commonly known as the father of the English Bible and the 16th century scholar, he translated the Bible into the English language. And this, you would think, would be a good thing, except it was not a good thing at all. It was a bad thing. It was scandalous. Because the church, if they, re- they realize that if everybody can read the scripture, then our leverage is gone. We can no longer tell people they can pay to get into heaven. Oh, we can no longer tell people if you want to be saved, that's no problem. If you've sinned, no problem. We can come to an arrangement and get that sin removed for you. Do you understand the difference? Do you understand the difference between walking boldly before the throne of grace or going through somebody who's controlling the factor? God doesn't intend for it to be that way. He kicked the doors open when he died on a cross. Pastor Scott talked about it on Easter when the veil that separated the holy place from the common people was ripped in two. That was God saying, everybody has access now. And he meant for there to be an ecclesia, a big church filled with all kinds of people. And so because this man, William Tyndale, decided that he was going to make the scriptures readable for everybody, the common man, he got a price tag on his head, and he was a hunted man. He told some bishops of the Church of England at one point, he said, if God spare my life for many years, I will cause a boy that drives a plow to know more scriptures than you guys. That's bold. (laughs) That's big, and that's bold. And that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, about going and making disciples everywhere. William Tyndale understood this, and because of this great boldness, he paid for it by being hung and burned at the stake. Yeah, it's never easy, but it changed the world. It was never Jesus' plan for the church to be controlled And the church to control people. In fact, if you go back to the closest thing they had to that structure was the temple. And when Jesus was on this earth, we read about him going into the temple angry because the the temple infrastructure was, was, was manipulating the common person. Instead of being able to take the best sacrifice they had, they had to take that best sacrifice, let someone inspect it. Ah, it's not good enough, but we have one over here that will be happy to sell you for $9.99.99, today only. That's why Jesus flipped tables over and threw money around. The temple had its own currency. They had this, its own currency, and Jews would come from all over the world to the temple for the Passover and for the the ceremonial events that happened around that time. And they couldn't use their own money. They had to use temple currency. Now, this is a business model that is amazing, right? You have to come here if you're going to be a Jew. And you know what? We'll make our own money. And you know what? Your money's not good enough, so we'll be happy to exchange it for you at a nominal cost. That's why Jesus got in the temple took off his belt, wrote, weaved those, those whatever it was, rope into a, a whip, and he started flipping tables and kicking tail, right? Because he never intended for man to stand between people and the creator. Sin broke that channel, and he came to create a bridge so that it would never happen again. So he had an intention. And so so as things begin to unfold and Jesus was, was uh, crucified, resurrected, he spent some time, some 
some several days, several weeks with the disciples before he ascended into heaven. And this is kind of where the next part of this uh, falls into play. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus was there talking to his disciples. Time was short. They were amazed. They weren't sure what was going to happen next. He had just risen from the dead. He gathered them around him in verse number, uh, chapter 1, verse number 6. They gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, clearly, again, we see that they didn't understand what Jesus had in mind. They were still holding on to their, the belief system that they understood. And their belief system was there was going to be a Messiah that was going to make the nation of Israel great again. Maybe they had hats. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've seen who's awake. <laughs> so they had, a, they had in their mind what that was going to look like. And so they're asking him again. I mean, he just died and rose again. I mean, I, th- I, think, I think we're pretty much, if he wants to take over the Roman Empire, I'm pretty sure he could do it now. I mean, he's the walking dead man, except he's alive, right? But they still were looking at it through their, they still didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said, upon this rock, Peter, I'm going to build this ecclesia. I'm going to build this church. See, the church wasn't for church people because there weren't any church people. The church wasn't about a location. There wasn't a location. The church wasn't about style or tradition because there were none that were created at that point. So here's a bunch of people. They were following Jesus. They had just gone through the most traumatic and and, uh, amazing experience of their life. And Jesus is there, and they're saying, okay, now what's happening next? And, and he begins to tell them in verse number seven, he said, he said, it's not for you to know the time or date the Father has set by his own authority. Don't worry about the establishment of some kingdom. He's got that figured out. Verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Power, what, what, what do we need power for? Power to do some what? what? What do we need? We don't understand. We're still not quite grasping what it is that you're trying to tell us. And Jesus made it clear. He's like, I'm gonna, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be empowered, but there's something that I need you to do. I need you to be my witnesses. Now, this group of people that were around him, remember, these are the people that they saw him perform miracles. They saw him die. They saw him resurrected. These are the firsthand account Christians that witnessed the entire thing that was going to change the world. And so he told them, I need you to go out, and witnesses really means someone to testify to or to affirm something. So I want you to spread this message as far as you can that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a real thing, and if you believe it, that I'm the Son of God, your life will be changed forever. You have the responsibility to spread this message because I'm building a very big church, a very big ecclesia, a group of people that will come from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But remember, they had to work within the context of what they understood, just like you and I do. We get hung up on our own mental parameters. They didn't, there was no reference point for this. There was no, it didn't make any sense. They were still trying to think, okay, I know that if I'm a Jew and I live in another country, there are certain things I can do. If I'm, if I'm converting someone and they're not Jewish, they're, you know, that might work. All these, they were trying to process this stuff and Jesus is saying, guys, something new's coming. It's going to be different. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. It's going to be amazing. And they're still trying to understand And so when he starts talking about 
Jerusalem. Okay, that makes sense. This is a, they were still thinking this was a Jewish thing, right? They were still thinking, okay, this is our Messiah. This is our message. This is something for us. So I got it. Okay, we'll spread the news amongst the Jewish people. Then he says Judea. Okay, so they're, they're neighbors. I get it. You know, we can, we can possibly share this news with them. That makes sense. They're larger. Then he says Samaria. Now, what? Because Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Okay, fine. I'll give you that. I'll, um, okay, so maybe the Samaritans, because they're kind of related in a sense, sort of. And then he says, ends of the earth, which at that moment, Rome was the ends of the earth. And Jews hate Romans. That means they're going to take this message and be witnesses in Rome? Okay, now Jesus, that whole crucifixion, death, resurrection, maybe you're just missing a few things. Maybe you lost something. Because this is not making sense. And there's just, what, a handful of us here? I mean, how are we going to change the world? The amazing thing is Jesus was telling them this stuff. They still weren't grabbing it. They were trying. They still weren't getting it. And then he made sure to tell them, I do not want you to spread this message until after the Holy Spirit comes. Why is that such an important piece? These people witnessed everything that Jesus went through. They, they knew it firsthand, but why did Jesus tell them, I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes before spreading this message, before spreading the gospel? I want you to wait. Here's what I believe. It's impossible for man to understand what it truly means when God talks about the church. I believe it's impossible for us to, in our own ability, understand that it really does mean every single people group in the entire world. It's impossible for us to comprehend. And so until the Holy Spirit came, he knew, Jesus knew, this little ragamuffin band of believers, they do not have what it takes to make this thing a reality. But when the Holy Spirit comes, that's the game changer. That is the game changer. So he had them hanging out in a room waiting for something to happen <coughs> so that he could empower them. After that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power, right? He was telling them, don't do it because the scripture tells us in Romans that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He knew that you, they had not uh, the, the capability, the propensity, the, 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 the intestinal fortitude to execute the mission that he was giving them without the Holy Spirit. <coughs> very, very important. So Luke records this, this event as it, as it unfolded. And, and there was, after Jesus has spent some time with them, he goes up to a mountain, and he's teaching them again, and they see him. In, in actual quote in Acts chapter 1, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid them from their sight. So Jesus was gone. Uh, here we are. What do we do next? They're afraid. They're uncertain. They're anxious. They're not sure what to do, how to do what they're supposed to do. They go back to the upper room, and they wait. Now, the Feast of Passover had finished. This is the Feast of Pentecost. There were Jews from all over the world in Jerusalem because it was, a, it was a feast day, a feast week. Enter the Holy Spirit. Game changer. Acts chapter 2, just to set the stage. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. These disciples, Mary, all these folks were in the upper room, just like Jesus said. 
They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and kept and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as a spirit enabled them. Now, here's something very important I want you to see. If you read Acts chapter 2, there's like 14 different uh, nations or language, language groups that are mentioned by Luke in this passage. Every one of those 14 language groups were hearing their own language being spoken by a group of people that were from Galilee or the surrounding areas. In other words, it would be like this group of people here speaking Mandarin, speaking Spanish, speaking uh, Epic, speaking um, Mongolian. I mean, there's an entire, it would be all of a sudden all of us English-speaking folks from Maryland. Right, hun? All of us hun folks. All of a sudden we're fluent in another language. And there's a Chinese person that's there and hearing Mandarin out of a guy from Baltimore. That's going to get some attention, right? That's going to attract. And so this thing is happening to them. They're praising God and they're speaking in these languages. And it spills out into the street. And the guy from China is walking by. He's like, this dude's speaking in Mandarin. What, what's up with that? This guy's speaking in fluent Greek. What? All of a sudden, they're like, their ears are turned to this group of people that seem very ordinary but very fluent suddenly in languages that are not their native tongue. The Holy Spirit is making an entrance, folks. He's making an entrance because the world is changing again. Everything changed when Jesus walked out of the tomb, right? Everything changed. Everything changed at that moment. And this was the next phase of him introducing the ecclesia to the world. The big church had arrived on the scene. And there's people from at least 14 different nations standing here on a street corner, baffled because a bunch of normal people are speaking fluently in their language and they want to know, hey, can someone explain to me exactly what's happening because I've never seen anything like this before. Suddenly that little group of uh, a few folks that were nervous, afraid, didn't know what, what they were going to do or how they were supposed to do it. How are we supposed to be witnesses? Who's asking? Like, they didn't know what they were going to do. Now, suddenly, this group of people, they were bold. They were powerful. They weren't ashamed. They weren't anxious. They weren't afraid. They were out on the street corner fluently speaking in languages that they did not know themselves. And God was doing something incredible. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us. It gives us boldness that we wouldn't ordinarily have. By God's design. So Peter, you know, Peter, he's always the guy speaking. He preaches the first message to the first church. And this is what it sounded like. Acts 2.24. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among him, uh, among you through him. As you yourselves know. So these people knew who Jesus was. They... they Crucifixion just happened, resurrection, all that stuff. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. I mean, this is not one of those gentle, seeker-friendly messages. He's all up in their grill. He's like, you guys killed him because you didn't believe who he was. Fortunately, you know, he didn't stop there. But God raised him from the dead, so no big deal. 
right? Something better happened. God raised him from the dead, feeling, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible. Oh, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Everything changed when he came out of that tomb, folks. Everything did. Skip down to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. First message preached in Jerusalem. I'm a witness. Peter said it. We are all witnesses. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father and promised the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is the game changer, everyone. The Holy Spirit is here. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord sits at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, if you're a pastor or a preacher, you want that to always be the case. You want to preach a nice message. You want everybody in the audience to say, tell me what to do next. Peter got to experience that. Man, he was off and running. So Peter replied, attend a local Bible-believing church. <laughs> no, because there was no such thing. And it didn't matter that there was no such thing because that's not what God was interested in, was it? He was interested in people, not institutions. He was interested in heart, not rules and regulations. He was interested in people's minds and spirits, not in what doctrine you believe in or what you assign yourself to as a traditional nameplate that you tag to whatever you call yourself. It would have been ridiculous if you would have said something like that. And instead, he said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow, never heard this before. This is incredible. I would like to join in, please. This is amazing. I'm tired of plastic church. I'm tired of plastic religion. I'm tired of things that don't work for me. I'm tired of going to the money to the money changers at the temple, cashing in, losing money for a sheep that I don't like to kill so that I can have another year of sanctity. That's what these people were dealing with. And all of a sudden, this is all happening in front of them. And like, if Jesus is the Messiah, I'm in. Let me experience what you guys are experiencing. This promises to you, your children, and for all who are far off. And Peter, again, Peter being the guy that talks too much before he thinks, he didn't realize, again, he was echoing what Jesus said. He still, it still hadn't registered what it meant when Jesus said to as many as are far off. He's still thinking Jews in Rome, <laughs> right? Still doesn't know. For the first time in Jewish history, God had kicked the doors back open again. The veil had already ripped from the, in the temple. Every, the common man didn't understand what that meant. And now God is saying this is for every person. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter what their tongue is. Doesn't matter what their nationality is. Doesn't matter what their skin color is. This is for every single person. The beauty of this, 41. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added in number that day. The beauty of that is they didn't all go to the converted warehouse down the street. They all went back home. All over the world, the gospel was suddenly living in their neighborhoods. And there were now witnesses in all of the corners of the world that were represented in that day. And from that moment until now, that movement, that ecclesia has not stopped. 
It's hit all kinds of issues. It's been tried to, to, to be controlled and manipulated, but it has not stopped. This isn't about a building. This isn't about the name of pl- or the placard on the, in the front lawn or hanging on the front of the building. It isn't about uh, uh, how we interpret the prophet, the Daniel, the prophet Daniel, his dreams of what the end time. None of this is about that. It isn't about uh, how good the worship team is or, or, or if, 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 if our church gets more Facebook, Facebook likes than the church on the corner. None of that matters. That's not what this is about. What this is about is the spread of the gospel of Jesus to every person. That's what the big church is, the called out ones, the people that believe a common thing, and that is that Jesus is the Messiah. A little excited this morning. This is big stuff right here. This is big stuff right here. This is all about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and we didn't get to, you and I, you and I, we didn't get to see, see this firsthand. But yet, he's still asking us to be his witnesses. How does, how does that work? I, so I get the first, the first century church. I get they were all, they walked with Jesus. They saw it all happen. I get them being witnesses. But what does it mean now? All these thousands of years separating us from that point. What does it mean for Andrew to be a witness? What does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. He broke addictions for us. Right? He forgave sins for us. He's healed our sicknesses. He's answered our prayers. He's done these things for me. That's what I am witnessing. I am affirming. I am bearing witness of a Jesus that I have never seen with my eyes, but I have completely experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is doing these things in my life. How many of you guys were here when we did our story series? A good number of you. For those of you that weren't, we had a couch, two couches sitting up here on the stage, and we had some people from the congregation that sat up here on the couches, and they talked about what God has done in their life, the history, the story. They were witnesses of the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't overcomplicate spreading the gospel. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as telling your story. It's all, all we are asked to do is not be theologians. We're just asked to be witnesses. He said, I want you to be witnesses and make disciples. Well, I don't know how to make a disciple. Share your story until they start developing their own and you've just made a disciple. It's not complicated. It's just living life out with people and pointing them to the one that's changing yours. It's not hard. Church makes it hard. Religion makes it hard because you got to negotiate how they believe or what, they, what doctrine they follow or what methodology of religion they practice. None of that matters. There's a church. It's a big church. It's the people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's really all it is. I'm getting some funny looks. That's all it is. And the beauty of this is he gave us the boldness to do it because the Holy Spirit changes everything. A few scared Jesus followers huddled together in a room, didn't know what we were going to do. They figured they were hunted just like Jesus was hunted. They didn't know what was going to happen. And then when the Holy Spirit moved in, they kicked the doors open. They're like, we're going to the streets. We're going public because I'm not afraid anymore. And you're going to hear about this next week. It's going to be amazing because they're going to talk about bold prayers and what this group of people did with bold prayers. you got to be bold with your faith, bold to be a Christ follower. Don't be intimidated by it. He's changing your life. Just tell your story. Don't be intimidated or afraid. Be bold with your speech. Just say what's happening. 
I used to be this, but I'm not that anymore. How did that happen? Well, let me tell you a story. Bold with your actions and bold with your prayer. We are part of something that is so much greater than we could possibly imagine. The ecclesia that Jesus spoke about when he was talking with his 12 disciples has actually come to pass. There are people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah on every part of this earth. I read an article recently that China has one of the largest spirit-filled churches in the world. But guess what they don't have? They don't have a building. They don't have an institution. They don't have a religious practice because they can't. They practice underground. So what's the common denominator? They just believe that Jesus is the Messiah and he's changing their lives and people are being saved constantly and the, the ecclesia is alive in an iron, an iron curtain country that doesn't allow Christianity. His church, he said it himself, the gates of hell will not overtake it. It doesn't matter what hell has thrown at it. It will not overtake it. Yes, William Tyndale died. Yes, lots of other people were crucified uh, and, and were murdered and were martyrs for this cause, but it has not stopped and it will not stop. And you and I need to be bold and understand we're part of a big church. Worship team, you guys can come. This is going to be a great series. I can already tell you that Pastor Scott talked to me this morning about bold prayers, and he asked me two questions. And if he asked the rest of you guys those two questions next week, y'all all going to feel like I feel right now. They were hard questions, but they were right here, and they're real. And if we can see some of this stuff change in us, if we can be a little more bold in our faith, if we can understand that we're not relegated to a small building on a small corner, but we're part of a group of believers that circle the globe. This morning, all over the world, people are professing their faith in Jesus Christ, and they're spreading the message of hope that when he rose again, it changed everything. Stand with me, please don't mind. Thank you for moving quickly with me this morning. I hope this foundation sets you up for what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. I hope that just like the Holy Spirit, when it got a hold of the disciples that were in the upper room and a fire was lit inside their heart, it was burning hot and it was burning out. I hope that that happens to us at Life Center over the next few weeks. I hope that for me, that I get, I get a, a clearer picture of what I'm actually connected to, that God's plan is not small in any measure. God's plan for your life is not small in any measure. Don't think for one moment that your little blip on the radar, your little insignificant self is not part of something great because it is. You are. You are part of something incredible. You're part of a big ecclesia, a big church. It's not bound by rules and regulations that man has tried to manipulate and control. No. Whom the Son, quote from the scripture, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. 
Here's an indicator. If religion brings bondage, is it God? Yeah? If religion brings bondage, is that what God was looking for? Because what I see when I watch Jesus, when I hear what he says when he's talking to the religious construct of his day, he's breaking walls down because he does not want any man controlling what he has established as his ecclesia, his church, his big church. Every person, this is hard for us, hard for every one of us in this room, every person deserves the grace and mercy that you've experienced and I've experienced. Every person deserves to hear that Jesus is the Messiah. Every person in every country, in every neighborhood, in every village, in every hut, in every skyscraper deserves the opportunity to hear there's a gospel. There is a Savior that died for you that rose again for you and he would love to put the Holy Spirit inside of you so that you can live above and beyond the confines of this world. That's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. So if you've never experienced the power of Christ's resurrection today, when the prayer team comes, you guys can come. Prayer team comes, we're gonna make this this opportunity for you to step up. We'll pray with you about anything. If you need the prayer of salvation, we'll walk you through that. Today can be a life-changing day for you. If you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, you're a Christ follower, but you're intimidated, you're uncertain about your faith, maybe you just like, eh, I don't know that my story really matters, I'm kind of normal, boring. Maybe all you see are the mistakes and failures of your past that just keeping continually to haunt you, plague you. And perhaps you wonder if, you know, what does this even mean to me? Not really making a difference. I'm here to tell you today, every person, every person that is following Christ has a unique purpose, a unique design. And if you've never been through Growth Track, it's going to start next Sunday. We'll help you find that unique purpose, that unique design because that's what God has called us to do. Why? So that you can be witnesses of him so that this ecclesia will spread even further. That is who we are called to be and what we are called to do. I'm anxious to hear the stories of what God's doing in your life, touching people, spreading this message, part of a big church or part of the ecclesia the large church, the, the people that have a common focus, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Next week, bold prayers. Bold prayers next week. So make sure you're here. Make sure you're here for that. And growth track starts again. If you've not signed up or you have questions about it, you see my wife. She can answer questions for you on that. Or Pastor Scott is in the back. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, next Sunday to go through that. Have an amazing week. God bless you. Let's be bold.